Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with uh, Christian G- Giordano. Say Giordano. it for us. Giordano. Giordano. I don't know why I'm having so much troubles with that. But anyways, Christian, we'll stick with, is a driven architect with 25 plus years of experience. Uh, he is reimagining the building industry with a progressive approach as president and co-owner of Mancini Duffy, a national design firm with a hundred plus year history and a tech forward approach. He's launched the tool belt, which is a software suite that allows users to explore and manipulate 3D models collaboratively to make decisions together. And he is a host of the Anti-Architect podcast, where he shares his futuristic approach, design, and architecture. Welcome to Inside the Firm. Thanks, Alex, for having me. So before we dive deep into it, uh, you know your CFO, Bola. Uh, yeah. She, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago. For people listening, she'll be on the 23rd of April. What a great conversation I had with her. How you captured her uh, and kept her is, is amazing. Um, so just for people to look forward to, that's coming out. And now we get to talk with you. Um, so what was your experience before Mancini? So yeah, my experience before Mancini as far as work goes is I worked at a firm called Swanky Hayden Connell Architects. And it was a large firm in Soho, New York. Um, and it's really, I worked there for about five years. I kind of got some good mentoring experience, met a lot of people there that I still am in contact with. And as a matter of fact, actually work still with now, um, you know, many years later. And uh, it, was a, it was a very social firm, let me put it to you that way. Everyone, you know, there was a lot of, uh, we called it the young class that came in and everyone got to know one another really well. As a matter of fact, I met my wife there. Um, and a lot of people actually met their spouses there. There was probably eight to 10 of us that ultimately got married and are still married to this day. Um, so a very social kind of influential firm for me. And then I spent a lot of the, my career, about 12 years, at a firm called HLW International, um, which was also a very large firm uh, doing work, um, you know, obviously in New York City, which is where I was based, but they have Los Angeles office, China office, London office, and very large scale projects, you know, from multifamily to big broadcast to the stuff in China was, you know, enormous projects. Um, so really got to cut my teeth on a lot of different types of projects. And I, I worked my way up there and it was a great experience. That is, as a matter of fact, where I met Bola. Um, and, you know, just kind of, you know, the Bola story is interesting because she worked in accounting and the accounting department, you know, the, the architects or interior designers, you basically only went back to the accounting department if you needed to get petty cash. That was back in the day when you needed yeah. cash for things. Or, um, you know, you had an expense report or whatever it was, right? And Bola was super friendly. And she and I just would, you know, chat. And that's how we became friends. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, who knows, 15 plus years later, maybe even more, 
you know, when we were looking for a CFO, I said, oh, I remember Bola. She was really cool. And that was literally the, you know, the genesis of, of, of Bola coming here was that I thought she was just a cool person. And, and that's how it, it ultimately worked out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because just it, it's hard to kind of convey to people how friendliness, interest, taking the initiative can go so far, can take you so far in life. Just those simple fundamentals that, that she has. Um, w- when you came to Mancini, could you kind of detail out yeah, as much as you can remember, what was your first day? What was your first month? And what was your first year like? That's a good question. Um, so, you know, my first day, if I were to think back to that moment, I do, I have a clear picture of my head sort of physically, you know, what it was like. Um, you know, when you work for a long time at a, a company and you leave that company, especially when I left HLW, I mean, I left in good terms with them. I still have, you know, lots of very good friends that work there. As a matter of fact, I saw one of them uh, last week. Uh, we hung out for a while. I have great respect for that firm and for many of the people there. And, you know, so, you know, leaving there was a tough decision. I really had no, you know, it's not like I was unhappy, um, but I knew that there was the opportunity at Mancini to really kind of go all in and ultimately, or hopefully one day own the firm. So I came over, you know, here to Mancini and that first day I remember thinking, well, okay, this job right now seems pretty easy because A, I have clean, a clean inbox, which is very rare, right? Uh, there were no emails that I had to respond to, you know, that I was late responding to, which is, you know, typically my day. Um, and I had to start, you know, kind of understanding, learning who all the, the people were, understanding the players, um, and bringing in work. I mean, that was really one of my, my major things was to take my relationships and the types of work that I had done, which was tech companies and broadcasts and architecture projects and bring them over to Mancini. So, you know, those that first day was kind of getting to know people. And then I'd say that first week and that first month were really getting to know people was honestly going out to lunch with people, going out to dinner, grabbing people for a drink, trying to really understand and, and take stock as to who is doing what, uh, who might, you know, in the future be, you know, a, a future leader, um, who could, who has experience in certain types of projects or who has the, uh, you know, who's excited about maybe a potential new kind of project that I could bring or who's disgruntled with the, you know, the, the, the work that they've been working on for the last couple of years and knows they can do so much more. So, you know, that first month of feeling all of that out and trying to understand that culture was, you know, was, was pretty critical into really kind of beginning to shape the firm. I didn't really know that I'd be, you know, owning it um, so soon after that, but um, that was really the beginning of it. Then, you know, I would say the first year was a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there, we, we we had some big wins, we had some small wins, so kind of celebrating those things. The firm was in major transition because the, you know, they had purchased a, another company called TSC Design and that didn't really go all that well as, as far as the merger. And so there were unhappy people 
you know, I was bringing in new people. Um, but to their credit, to the, the, my, you know, prior ownership, Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank, they let me kind of roll with it. You know, they, 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 you know, Tony would give advice, Dina would give advice, but they didn't, you know, they didn't push an agenda. They knew that, okay, this is the direction the firm needs to go in. It needs a new fresh, you know, fresh life, fresh direction. So well, let's, uh, let's, you know, give this guy a shot. And, and, and they did to their credit. But there was, as I said, there were lots of ups and downs because people were leaving. They were unhappy. The reputation was a little tarnished. You know, maybe there were projects that we didn't win. Um, you know, from the financial side of things, it was a little rocky, right? And then I had no financial experience whatsoever in terms of running a firm. So I had to you know, begin to learn that quickly. Um, but it very soon turned around after that. And, um, you know, and then it's kind of set us up to, to where we are today. So could you talk about as much as you can, and it, it can be broad, I think firm ownership is, um, unless you start a firm, it becomes pretty obvious who owns the firm and, and anyone you want to bring in. Uh, but a lot of people work for firms. And how did you transition to an ownership role? How does that happen? What does it entail? Is it a money thing? Is it a project thing? Is it kind of unwrap that kind of puzzle for people that don't really know? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that, that the ownership could be a bit of a mystery in an architecture firm, right? Like, I don't know in some of the large firms that exist in the U.S., right? I, I don't know who owns them. Mm -hmm. I don't know who owns Gensler. And I don't also know what employee owned means, because that to me is if everybody owns it, nobody owns it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not sure really how that all fits in. And you're right, the Black Cape Architects, you know, they own their firms definitely straight up. I get it. Um, even at HLW, you know, I, you know, I, I was high up in the leadership there. I ran a lot of the, the, the major projects and studios and, and work in China. And when I think back, you know, and, and even to this day, I don't know really, I know who the ownership is, but I don't, I didn't know, you know, how much of the firm each one of them owned. You know, there were a lot of players involved in that, and there was really a lack of clarity um, to it. So at Mancini, you know, <laughs> it's funny how it, it, it ultimately happened for, for, for us here is that, as I said, Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank owned the firm. And Tony was very clear as to how much he owned, and Dina was very clear as to how much she owned. Were they, and did they add up? They added up, yeah, <laughs> they, they added up. And uh, so in a couple of years of really running the firm and transforming the firm, there was a point in which um, Tony Sharippa had made mention of him retiring. And it was sort of this kind of general statement of, oh, well, one day when I retire. And, you know, Tony uh, you know, was well into his uh, probably late 60s already at that point. And I said to him, well, so Tony, what exactly do you mean? When do you plan to retire? And he said, well, nobody's ever made me an offer. And I thought, oh, okay, is this like an invitation to make him an offer? Or is this, is he just like kind of, you know, I don't know, just talking or, yeah. or what the story is. But that night I, I, I called, uh, who are now my partners, uh, Bill Mandera, and Scott Harrell, and I said to him, listen, I had a conversation with Tony about 
the fact that he does want to retire and that he wants someone to make him an offer. So I am quick question. Those yeah. other those other two were they already in the firm or were they? They were outside? already in the firm. Yep, yep. Bill Bill worked at the firm as he said he came with the furniture. He he was part of the firm that they had purchased, and Scott had worked here for a very long time. Um, and you know, so that night I literally went home and I drafted out a a way that we could buy Tony. I would buy his shares. Uh, Bill and and Scott would buy Dina's shares. And we would come up with this buyout plan over a period of five years. And, you know, there, and essentially what happened was, you know, when I presented this to Tony, I said, this is how we would like to buy you out. And Tony had said, well, let me do some valuations of the firm. So he went out and he did a valuation. We had a third party do a valuation. Um, and quite frankly, we split the difference. Um, you know, the valuation of the outside company said, oh, you're not worth that as much as Tony thinks. And Tony said, well, I think I'm worth this much more. And we split the difference. And that really was, it was about as uh, easy of a transition as as could have been uh, to Tony's credit, right? I mean, he really, you know, he, I think he saw that, hey, these guys really want to buy this firm. Um, let me figure out a way that works for them and for me. And then ultimately, you know, he he did that. He was going to kind of stick around for many years. That was his original thought. And then after the first year, he realized, and he had a bunch of grandkids, and he realized, you know what, I think I'm going to transition a lot sooner, um, which at the end of the day, I think was best for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a, definitely a piece of advice. If you're going to you know, buy out your, um, your predecessor, kind of defining exactly how long they're going to stay and what their role is, I think is important. Uh, for uh, for us, again, it worked out great, um, but it just kind of happened to work out. There was really no planning involved in that. Yeah. So, yeah, so we bought the firm and, and here we are. Um, and you don't have to answer this this portion, but I just want to peel back the couple different ways that I understand that you, someone could buy a firm. One is, you know, if you have enough cash and whatever the valuation is, you could do it that way. You could finance it with a percentage down, paying X amount of cash and then financing through a bank or even a small business loan, um, a percentage. Or there's a part called owner finance um, where I might get this wrong, but something where let's say it's worth a million dollars. I'm just making up a number um, and you want to pay $200,000 a year. The new group through what that firm produces now that they own it can you know, that would have maybe been bonuses um, to you gets paid to the owner. And then after the five years, then the firm transitioned. Was it one of those? Was it more complicated than that? Was it, how was that, you know? Yep. Yeah. So now I, I agree with you. Those are really the three ways that you can do it. Uh, ours was really the third way that you described. We gave a down payment of X amount of cash and then we said, what we're going to do is we're going to pay you out over the next five years. <clears throat> now, the difference is for us is that we used our own money for that, that five-year period. So we didn't use firm money. And there was a very uh, particular reason for that is the firm had had debt prior because of the many tr ownership transitions that had occurred years and years before when Ralph Mancini himself had retired and sold the firm to a series of other partners. And those partners, I don't even, quite frankly, I don't even know all the story or I don't know most of those people that were involved at the time. 
Um, but you know, they were owed money over over X amount of years, and it just took their their buyouts were very long and complicated, and it it saddled the firm with debt. So we didn't want to put any more debt on the books for the for the company. Ultimately, our goal was to pay off the debt, right? And then also, you know, own it ourselves. So we used our own money and financed it essentially, you know, as a as a note to Tony and to Dina over the next five years. And so that's how that's ultimately how it worked for us. So very similar to what you were describing, only not bonusing ourselves the money, literally taking it out of our salaries and writing personal checks on a monthly basis um, to the previous ownership. Very interesting. It's good for people to know. One kind of nuance that I didn't even think about is, so a firm could take out the loan, thus creating the debt to pay the owner. Correct. Interesting. Um, As long as we're kind of on this topic, semi-different, you talked before about acquiring, I believe it was TSC, but now I saw news, maybe recently you acquired another company? Yeah, so, yep, TSC was before my time. Um, That was probably, I want to say, like 2010, 2011. Um, And, you know, because Bill came... Uh, with TSC, the that transition did not go well um, from Bill's point of view, for sure, as being the one that was acquired. And I think for many of the people that were at this firm, they just, for whatever reason, they I think they came in very heavy handed and they said, we're a man, C.D. Duffy, mm-hmm. we're the big guy on the block and you're going to do it our way and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it created kind of a, you know, us and them kind of mentality. So now we actually made our first acquisition, us as the owners of Mancini now. So we, we uh, acquired a firm called Gertler & Wente, Jeff Gertler and Larry Wente. So they're an architecture firm here in New York City. Uh, they do primarily multifamily residential, uh, healthcare, uh, religious, uh, institutional work. Uh, and like every you know, architecture firm in New York City, corporate interiors, because that's you know, a big component of any architecture yeah. firm here. Um, and so we, you know, Jeff was someone I had met years ago, actually through a real estate broker and, you know, Jeff, super sweet, uh, you know, great guy. And, you know, we had talked about, well, maybe one day if you want to sell your firm, you know, maybe Mancini would be a good buyer. And, and here we are now that transition or that, that ownership transition or that acquisition, sorry, uh, just occurred two weeks ago. Um, and so, this is, we, we moved offices into a brand new office location. And so we have everybody here now under one roof. But as a matter of fact, today we're, you know, we're having a big party here, a kind of welcome everybody party into the new office. We're supposed to have it last week, but our office was delayed in construction. Um, and so what's been nice about this transition is we've really tried to make sure that the acquisition of the Gertler and Wente folks, that they... It really mattered to us that they felt, you know, part of the firm and that there was no sort of us and them and all the mistakes that Bill endured in that transition when he was acquired, uh, we were, we're really trying to avoid those uh, as, as going forward. And it's 20, 20 people or so that we've, you know, essentially brought on. Um, so it's kind of nice. There's a, there's a new energy here at this you know, at the firm, we're all in a new office together. We're all trying to figure out the new office together. We've gone from individual desks where everybody had their own desks to now we're doing what we do for a lot of our 
clients is we're hoteling. So there's no assigned, uh, there's no assigned seat. Everybody was issued a brand new, you know, super high powered laptop. Uh, everybody's got, you know, every station has the same docking station, keyboard, mouse, um, huge monitors, double monitors, you know, cameras, the whole thing. And everybody can, you go on an app and you select your desk for the day and you sit down and you plug in and you work. Uh, and so there's no, you know, and you get a locker where you can put all your personal stuff. So we're transitioning not only from, you know, acquiring them, but we're also transitioning into the new office. The beauty of this is that we're all new to the office. So it's not like the, you know, the, the, the firm that we just acquired is coming in, you know, into our space. And it, it's all new to everybody. And the whole process is new to everybody. The poor IT folks are going crazy because it's a nonstop um, you know, questions about how does this work? How does that work? How do I reserve a room? How do I reserve my desk? How come my monitors don't work? Stuff like that. So it's been a fun kind of learning transition and a fun acquisition in, in that respect. Yeah. There seems like a lot of activity. I can see a bunch of people walking back, you know, in, in <laughs> know, your background. Right? <laughs> um, I was going to ask two questions. I think you covered a bunch of the answer for these two questions, but in case I miss anything, I'll, I'll, say, uh, I'll put it out there. So um, why did you acquire them and how? Sure. So, uh, so one, of the, one of the things that I'm really keen on doing as well as my partners is diversifying our practice. So we've gone from 10 years ago, very specifically doing corporate interiors for financial institutions um, to transitioning that into doing corporate interiors, hotels, restaurants, airports, um, um, you know, you name it, we now are doing those types of projects. And from pure interiors to, you know, brand new out of the ground buildings, we're doing a, a you know, a tower in Times Square. So we've really tried to, you know, diversify what it is that Mancini does. And thank God, because the pandemic, if we were just doing corporate interiors, I don't know how well we would be honestly doing. Mm-hmm. There are other market sectors that, you know, maybe are less glamorous that we're also doing, which is industrial. Uh, we're doing cooking commissaries. Or some of it's actually quite interesting and very technical, um, but it's certainly not glamorous architecture. But again, it's about diversity, right? It's about having a company, an architecture firm that we can do all of these innovative, interesting things and all of this amazing design but at the same time, try to insulate ourselves from being, you know, pigeonholed into doing one type of market sector, sort of the more, in our case, the merrier, right? Kind of be able to have sort of recurring revenue in, in certain circumstances, and then also really go over those, go after those super high profile design projects. Mm -hmm. So all in the spirit of diversity. So, so acquiring a firm like Gertler and Wente it was about that healthcare and that multifamily and that religious institutions, stuff that we, you know, we dabble in multifamily. Uh, we've done a few buildings here and there, but not like them. They have, you know, they know how to do multifamily and they, they do it well. And healthcare, in my experience, I don't know about others, but healthcare is something you cannot break into. You either do it or you don't. And, um, you know, there's no kind of, 
you know, with, you know how it is in an architecture firm. If you've done kind of one or two of these things, you, you can call yourself an expert in, in something, but healthcare is not that way. Uh, you really do need to know what you're doing. You need to know all those, especially if it's an operating room or, or some sort of, you know, clean lab or whatever that might be. You've got to have the chops to really do that. And the beauty of that is they've got a robust group and, uh, and, and a person, uh, Mark, that really knows that, that sector. And so the idea is now using the Mancini brand and the Mancini um, scale to really, you know, give some of the other healthcare companies a run. Gotcha. Um, over your years, what have you learned about culture, a cultural slump, um, to kind of keep it alive um, and indicators that it's going bad or tips to make it go better? Yeah. Um, from my point of view, the culture is always great. <laughs> and, um, but I'm told, you know, by a lot of my leadership team, you know, when things aren't going as, as I think they're going, right. Um, which is important. And I think to have people on your leadership team that kind of basically say, Hey, Christian, you know, take your head out of your rear and look around you know, I know you want to be the Mr. Positive and rosy pictures, but this is going wrong. That's going wrong. We need to fix this. We need to fix that. Um, so to me, in the beginning, culture was about throwing cool parties, you know, going out for drinks, um, you know, kind of having no dress code. That was actually a big deal uh, mm -hmm. for the old Mancini. <laughs> um and it's definitely evolved from that, right? So we still do all those things. We still have an address code and we still, uh, you know, go out drinking and we have parties and all that fun stuff. But what I've learned about culture is that you also have to listen to um, the staff and ultimately what they want to do with their career and in their life and in their uh, private life and in their social life and somehow provide that as an opportunity for everyone at the firm. So one of the things we've done from a cultural side is if people have a, uh, a desire to do something other than just simple design work, whether that's related to what we do or not even related to what we do, we wanna give them an avenue to do that. So we have, you know, I think of one person offhand that is an amazing musician, uh, has written his own, uh, his own acoustic albums, a singer songwriter, you know, and giving him the opportunity to be able to, um, you know, go on tour and, you know, play his music, take time off from work to do those things. You know, that is, that creates a culture that is way more inviting than a cool party, right? Um, or if someone has a desire to, um, you know, go after a certain market sector. You know, hey, listen, I, we one guy who, you know, we did an airport lounge and he said afterward, you know, I really like working at the airports. I'd love to try and go after more airport work. And we said, great, here's a budget. Here's how, here's how we think we could do it. And he runs an aviation sector now for the company. Or on our technology side, it's, hey, we have all these cool tech ideas. Um, how can we, you know, bring them from zero to one? And it's the same kind of thing saying, okay, well, let's put together a business plan. Let's see who else is interested in this. And as people come to us with these entrepreneurial ideas, it's about supporting them. 
And to me, that creates the, the culture that we want, this innovative culture and this fun culture and this idea that just because we're an architecture firm, we don't always have to just be an architecture firm and be project to project. We can take the time to do all of these other these other things. And it does create then an energy and a fun atmosphere that's um, that you know hopefully can stand the test of time as we continue to grow. All that reminds me of something um, we haven't even touched on yet, but it's a big brand kind of for you. Is, is that what the anti-architect is about? Is it something different? What is the anti-architect? Yeah, I think uh, listen, the anti-architect's a play on words, obviously, but it's... Um, you know, the idea with the podcast was to have an open discussion with whoever the guest was and create this sort of body of interviews that talks about what do we do well as architects? What do we not do well? Where can we improve? Um, you know, how do we listen? Do we not listen? You know, when, when we do design, are we doing it for our own sake or for the client's sake? And um, you know, how, how through either shared experiences or, you know, very specific examples, you know, how can we, you know, move this profession forward and kind of out of the, 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 the same sort of uh, roles it's always been in, which is, you know, this design bid build scenario and the architect has a little chunk of that, right? How can we get it back to where the architect really was the, um, you know, ran the projects or even had a, a financial, you know, investment in the projects or, you know, conceived the projects and then brought it to the developer, um, you know, where, you know, it really kind of held the ball on a lot of things. Our profession has given up all those parts and pieces. You know, how can we begin to take a lot of those back and control it? And then through innovation and technology, what is it that we can do? What are the new things out there? How are people delivering projects better than others or more efficiently or better design, whatever it might be? So that's the idea. It's really supposed to be a critical look at the architecture industry, but with the effort to improve it, you know, not to just you know, kind of trash it. That's not the, the idea. And if, if anyone listens to it, it's, it's hardly trashing of the profession at all. Um, it's actually a very positive look at you know, what we do. Now, it, it seems like a, a growth mindset of being able to look at things critically um, and, and improve on them. So I, I like it. It's also attention grabber and, and all that. Yeah. So, so good job. Um, I want to leave you with any last subject you want to touch on or any last thing you want to point people to. Yeah, so um, I'd love for you to just check out our website and our social media. Uh, you know, mancini-duffy.com. Um, and our, you know, on that is our technology, which is called the Tool Belt. Um, it's a virtual reality software that uh, really connects Revit uh, directly into our own patent pending custom VR engine. So it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I'd love feedback on it from anyone who checks it out. There's, there's a link to it where you can, um, you can check out the software itself. Um, and kind of do a demo version of it. The idea is really to figure out, you know, where its useful life is, how can we improve it, really get it to become a, a robust piece of software. Uh, and then who knows what we do with it, whether we sell it to, you know, individual architecture firms or, you know, Autodesk wants to buy it, who knows. But right now the idea is to develop it further and further, again, to connect 
you know, not, not waste. One of the things that we talk about here in the office is, you know, we waste a lot of time, right? We, we prepare all these presentations for our clients and they're beautiful and all of these things, but, but is there a way to, you know, take all that hard work that we're putting in and automate some of it so that at the end of the day, it's not so much production time. We can actually spend time, you know, thinking about design more, right? Or detailing something a little bit more, finding alternate materials rather than, you know, preparing presentations and, uh, and getting ready for sort of the next steps. If we can automate some of that, which is what the idea of the VR tool belt software is, then we can capture back some of that time. And again, going back to culture and going back to, you know, uh, some sort of uh, life's balance, right? A live work balance. We can find that time in there or we spend more time designing, whatever that might be. It's all, it's all good from there. So yeah, so check out our website um, and definitely check out my, my podcast, The Anti-Architect. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Will do. Thanks for being on Inside the Firm. Alex, thank you so much for having me. This is great.